I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on, but we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty on demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean. Keith Urban. Jelly Roll. Old Dominion. Lady A. Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. Follow the Prophet is a production of Gingrich 360 and iHeartRadio. So let's say you live in a U.S. city where the temperature rarely gets below freezing in the winter. But then suddenly a storm comes through and brings it down to four degrees. So not only are you now living in the tundra and surrounded by snow and ice, your electricity and water go out as well. And you don't really know when it's going to come back. Well, we're going to tell you what happened in Texas and how it could have been avoided. Plus, people find it difficult to reinvent themselves. Well, our next guest did several times. He might be worse than Prince in some ways. From being a church volunteer in Taiwan, to creating beanbags in his parents' basement, to opening a chain of furniture stores, which you've probably seen, I've been in a few of them, to filing for bankruptcy, and now 
winning, becoming the fastest growing furniture retailer in the United States. You'll hear Sean's history and insight next on Follow the Profit. I'm David Grasso. So when you think about furniture, it's a little bit like toothpaste. Everyone needs it. There's so many variations of it. You've probably seen it all. So how do you create a great piece of popular furniture? Well, it's actually really hard. Our next guest, Sean Nelson, focused on a couple of different styles. First starting with bean bags, and then sectional sofas, and now much more. The love sack and the sectionals became a hit, and it was quite a journey to get there. If you haven't visited one of their stores, they're really innovative and they're fun to visit. I actually went to one after I met Sean. So Sean David Nelson, he's the CEO and founder of Love Sack. Hey, Sean. Hey, great to be with you. So, Sean, uh, like uh, many people, I just moved into a, uh, a home and furniture is, you know, one of the things that bedevils me. How <laughs> on earth did you decide to get into what I think, maybe besides food service, is the hardest industry I've ever heard of? Yeah, well, I did not uh, go to college thinking anything about furniture other than I had uh, made a giant beanbag when I was 18, right, right as I began college, actually, because I thought it'd be funny and um, filled it with uh, shredded foam. Like I actually cut up my parents' camping mattresses, you know, the kind you find in the basement with a bungee cord around them, <laughs> um, on a paper cutter to fill this thing because I couldn't, of course, possibly buy enough beanbag beads. This thing is like eight feet across, right? And everywhere I took it, everyone loved it. And so um, before long, was convinced by neighbors and friends to start making them one of these things and needed a name and you know, it was like hippie bean bag, love peace, hate war, 70s bag, love bag, love sack. Oh, that's cool. And I had a little company at uh, 21 years old now. And I just kind of fell into it, you know. And to be honest with you, I was I was trying to plan for my real job the whole time I was running this side hustle through college that never made me any money. You know, every time we made a dime, the, the van broke down, the shredder broke down. <laughs> Sounds like life, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And in fact, I took this opportunity to go to a trade show that we had heard of in Chicago to try and get bigger orders because Red Bull Energy Drink had bought a bunch of sacks from us. Selling 50 at a time sounded better than selling one at a time. So we, we did this kind of as a last ditch effort so that I could either you know, get some big order or, or just wipe my hands of it saying, okay, at least I tried. So we went to the trade show, showed it off. Lots of people jumped on the sack and thought it was cool, but no one bought anything and, and came back home in uh, spring of 2001, about to graduate university and had this job waiting for me actually overseas in China. I, I speak Mandarin Chinese. I majored in Chinese, having served as a missionary for my church over there a few years before college. And I had this job waiting for me and, and I got this phone call. The phone rang. I looked at his out-of-state number, so I thought maybe it's from the trade show. So I picked up my phone and said, you know, Lovesack Corporation. And it was uh, the Limited Corporation, one of the biggest retailers in the United States, right? This is like Victoria's Secret, Bath and Body Works, Limited. And Limited two stores for little girls wanted 12,000 little love sacks for Christmas. They sent me this piece of fabric that I had to match and I flew to North Carolina to match it. I found it, it's way too expensive. You know, they wanted these things so cheap. I'm about to give up again thinking like, okay, what am I even doing here? I'm a waiter at night, by the way, paying my way through school, about to graduate. The guy said, you know, you're not going to find this any cheaper. And he had these boxes of samples behind him with Chinese writing on them. It's the f address of the fabric factory in China that makes the stuff. And of course, I can read it. 
So I, I get on the plane and I fly to Shanghai. I'm like, I can't give up now. I walk in the front office of this uh, fabric mill. I said, I need this stuff. I did this in English, by the way, because I was nervous and just wanted to hold my cards. And, <laughs> and they said, it's five bucks a yard. I said, no, 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 I need it for like half that. And they start talking amongst themselves in Chinese right in front of me about how much it costs to make this stuff because, you know, they'll do that and talk right in front of me. And I can understand everything. So I knew that they could make this fabric for my price. So I just sat there for three days and negotiated and down and down. And finally, they're going to make them. They're going to cut them. They're going to sew them. They're going to ship them to me. They just need a deposit for $65,000. Oh, no big deal. <laughs> yeah, right. So I call up the limited two and I said, hey, I'm over here at my factory in China. I'm ready to go with your order. I just need $65,000 to get started. And they said, well, you know, we're the limited. We don't give deposits. I said, we're love sack. We've never done a deal without a deposit. What's wrong with you? And they end up wiring me 65 grand of my uh, University of Utah credit union account, which is all I had. And uh, I wired that to China. They got Mayhem and I flew back home and built a factory on credit cards to stuff these things. And so that was kind of like our humble beginnings. And then from there, you know, we just needed more uh, sales. And having completed that order through the time frame of 2001, 9-11 happened, price of foam went up, price of shipping went up. We made no money. And so we scrambled to all the retailers. They laughed at us, told us that giant beanbags were stupid, heavy, too expensive. Nobody wants these things. So we just opened our own store trying to, frankly, pay back all the debt we created building that factory. So Sean, the furniture mafia is in North Carolina and you're out in Utah and you're taking them on <laughs> and they think you're stupid. So they won't let you in, will they? What's funny about this industry is it's really fragmented, right? Like you were correct. The, the Mecca is in North Carolina, but every state or region has its, you know, you know them, the Raymore and Flanagan's, the RC Willys in the West, the American Furniture Warehouse in Colorado. We went to all these guys out West and they're the ones who told us, you know, this would never work. So we opened our own store and, 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 and it worked. And it surprised us even. We were just, you know, it's the first time I paid myself. I was working in the mall, open till close for 10 bucks an hour or whatever. But we were making money. And we took that money and opened more stores. And we had some failures and, and some wins and ups and downs. And, you know, the story gets longer and crazier. But um, that's how I got into furniture. And frankly, in that first Love Sack store, there was a couch in the corner just to look pretty, just to make it, you know, the, the sacks have context. And a big screen TV playing movies. And people kept asking about the stupid couch. And I couldn't sell the couch because it, it was there to look pretty. And by the way, I couldn't get another one. But after months and, and, and frankly, maybe a year or two of hearing this, how much is that couch? How much is, the, much is that couch? We decided to try and make one and only make one that we could deliver easily, make one that could be stored easily, shipped easily, packed easily. And we invented sectionals and sectionals are now 80% of Love Sack's business. It's blown us up. We, I think we still have many hundreds of millions to go in opportunity there, maybe billions. It's a couch that could be anything to anyone. And it's a very special invention with lots of patents around so it. One of my cousins, Manolo, had his own furniture store and he got crushed by these big retailers that offered free financing. And so how the hell did you make it, Sean? Because these furniture guys are basically cartels from what my cousin has explained it. You know, they basically moved into his neighborhood. So Rooms to Go shows up and goes, oh, we'll give you the furniture cheaper than what my cousin could sell it for. And we'll finance it for free. I've always been obviously selling furniture now for two decades, but never considered myself part of the industry. We're like the outsiders. You know, we don't go to their shows. We don't buy from the same sources. 
we manufacture everything we, we make through our own sources and we invented everything we make. Therein lies the key. So for us, where your cousin, I think you're right, Main Street versus these behemoths, it's a tough battle and everybody's kind of playing the same game, selling the same things. What finally worked for us was the fact that we invented a better mousetrap. Like nobody has sectionals. They have sectionals, they have couches, but if you really understand what sectionals do, they're, they're quite unique. It's washable, changeable, kid-proof, life-proof furniture that could be with you the rest of your life. You can change the fabric, you can wash it, you can rearrange it, reconfigure it, can change shape, do all sorts of things, add things to it later that we invent later, and it's all reverse compatible. So, And, and the reason I think we accidentally fell into doing business this way was because we were too stupid to know that it couldn't be done. Like when we first invented sectionals and the prototypes, I, this is a story that I haven't told very often. When we first invented sectionals prototypes, like just took the, our models, we had built them out of two by fours in the garage sort of thing. And I didn't have the, the machinery to like stretch the sinuous steel springs across that would make them sit well and, and that sort of thing. So I took them to a proper furniture maker with our drawings. And I said, hey, will you make these? And it's a seat and a side. That's what we sell today, right? These, these things you can arrange and rearrange like Legos kind of. And he gave me all the reasons it wouldn't work, it wouldn't be comfortable. But I said, look, just make them. And came back two weeks later, he said he had it done. And you know what he had made for me? He had made me a little removable cover sectional, which never is very good. He made me a sectional like, like Pottery Barn sells, like anyone sells. I said, well, where's the thing that I gave you? And he said, oh, that'll never work. Look, I've been making furniture for 40 years. My daddy made furniture for 40 years before that. Your thing will be uncomfortable, flat, too stiff, won't hold together. I said, ah. So I took my prototypes and drawings to another furniture maker and just said, hey, I'm going to pay you for these prototypes. Please make this thing. And you know what happened? Same, same <laughs> Of thing. course, predictable. I could not even believe it. He made me a little sectional because we had these love sack stores. He said, oh, you'll be able to put this in the corner of your stores. You can sell. I said, no, no, no. I can't ship that UPS. I can't store it. The covers look like they're slip covers. Like, I don't want that. I want what I made. And he said, oh, that'll never work. And so finally, we took it, frankly, overseas where they'll do whatever you ask them to do for money. And the Chinese helped me develop this. My Chinese factories over there. It was many, many years of refining and, and bringing them to the standard they are today. But the point is, because we were not from the furniture industry, we did not think like they thought. And we knew that this could be done. We at least believed that we could do whatever we wanted to do. And, and now I think we have what is the best couch in the whole landscape. And we've since adopted a whole business model around it. And we have more to come on that. We're going to take a quick break here. Be right back. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. 
Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean, Keith Urban, Jelly Roll, Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean, Keith Urban, Jelly Roll, Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. 
The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. So, Sean, China's been in the news a lot. And by the way, for those of you who speak Mandarin, that's Happy New Year, right? Sure. <laughs> that's about the extent of my Chinese, right, Sean? Yeah. China's been in the news a lot. Specifically, you know, I see a lot of the stuff just in my life, including this microphone and this computer that I'm on right now is made in China. And I know it's political, but at the same time, there is a beneficial relationship. So what's your take on that? Well, Lovesack was made sort of a poster child of tariffs because at the time when those special tariffs were announced by the Trump administration, we had most of our manufacturing in China. And luckily, we had one foot out already. We were working on sourcing in across different geographies in Southeast Asia. And by the way, we have a long-term view of possibly manufacturing most of our stuff in the United States. And so we were able to quickly react and, and get ahead of that. But we've been right at the tip of the spear of both experiencing this transition and getting talked about in the context of China. And so I've spent about a tenth of my life in China. I lived there for two years as missionary. I lived there for another year as a working professional in my early 20s, management training consultant, leading courses in Mandarin Chinese. I'm fluent in Mandarin Chinese. And then I've been back there 70 times probably since then on sourcing trips and whatnot. And China is gigantic. And I think that most Americans, I don't think, can really fathom what's going on there and how advanced that society is in many ways. Obviously, it has its own struggles. And by the way, from a human rights perspective, all kinds of serious issues. But for, as an economic powerhouse, it's four Americas. There's four full Americas of people there consuming, living, buying, and to be honest with you, I don't think China really needs us anymore like they used to. And, and in fact, I think that while it's fantastic in a lot of ways that America's consumerism has lifted countries like China, like Vietnam, much of Asia and other places out of poverty through manufacturing, through our own consuming of goods. On the other hand, we've turned a lot of Chinese uh, factory owners and entrepreneurs into millionaires and billionaires. 
generally now I think that country has a chance to just become the world economic powerhouse by sheer virtue of demography, just because of the number of people. So I think that it's going to be a very interesting next few decades as China emerges on the scene. So, Sean, everything's political, right? Like, you try to avoid Love Sack being political, but these tariffs come out and look, it worked. You know, how do you navigate that when, you're, when your business is suddenly thrust into the political spotlight? I think that generally my take on politics lately is people are just too hard on each other. You know, I think we're all just trying to survive. There's all kinds of craziness happening in the world. And it's being amplified by politicians on every side and the media who wants to get clicks, who wants to get noticed, who wants to be heard. And sadly, I think a lot of people are being manipulated. You know, I think ultimately you just, we just roll with it as entrepreneurs, for instance, you know, tariffs come, we shift the business, we react quickly. We don't whine about it. You know, I spent some time in Washington. I met with senators at that time and tried to figure out, you know, if there was some way to lobby around these tariffs or who knows what, and ultimately got nothing. And so I think we just make our way and keep our head down and do good. I think that unfortunately, a lot of these things that we can't control become hot politically. And then we're just hard on those around us or we're hard on different groups. And I just don't believe in that. I believe in minding your own business and doing your best to roll with the punches as they come. That's the extent to which I get political. What do you think it is, because you live in Utah and you're a Mormon, what is it about Mormon culture, we're not going to talk about religion on this show, that really fosters entrepreneurship? I'm always fascinated when I go to Utah how entrepreneurial it is. And a lot of that has to do with its Mormon history, right, and the culture around it. Is there, are there any tips for people who aren't in that culture that, you know, the show is called Follow the Prophet. What do you all do over there that we could learn for ourselves? I'm not talking about the religion. I'm talking about the culture around the religion. Yeah, I don't think the title of this show is lost on me. Follow the Prophet is a, actually a, a Mormon uh, primary song. So we sing it when we're children. And it's fun. You know, um, it's one of the more fun ones. So appreciate the, the wink and the nod to that. Yeah, the, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints um, has developed a culture I think that is, is really centered around self-reliance. And I think it goes back to our pioneer roots. Ultimately, the culture has come up then on self-reliance and survival. And so I think that's bred a culture of entrepreneurship that is admirable and sometimes even annoying. You know, when Love Sack first was getting started, nine out of 10 of our copycats, and this is over the course of a decade, actually, came out of Provo, Utah, which is like the BYU epicenter for... That's like the Vatican for for Catholics, Provo over there. You know, you're dealing with the most Mormon place in the universe, right? Yeah. But to their credit, these are people who see a good idea and they jump on it and they go do it. You see a restaurant pop up in Utah, you'll see, you know, some something unique, something clever. You'll see another concept like it within six months. And it's just a very entrepreneurial place, both for creation and for copycatting, but one way or another, getting things off the ground, getting things started. And, and there is a huge outgrowth of entrepreneurship and billion dollar businesses grown out of this little place called Utah. And I think it really is a cultural thing. And I think it ultimately, to answer your question, it comes back to self-reliance, to people who, who don't want to work for the man who believe they could do it just as good as you could and, and, and they'll go try. That just comes with entrepreneurship. Entre entrepreneurship is a messy game and it requires a lot of guts and it requires a lot of fortitude. 
And um, I think that ultimately, somehow, this culture has inspired some of those attributes in people. So let's talk a little bit about failure, because failure is one of the hallmarks of entrepreneurship, right? It's never a straight line. Tell us about your failure, the bankruptcy. And before that, of course, and I know every time I mention this to you, because I've, I've been interviewing you for a long time, Sean, you were on Rebel Billionaire. You kind of enjoyed this celebrity moment, right? You could tell it's been a while because you had like long highlighted hair that was very, you know, typical back then. But you were on Richard Branson's show, right? Rebel Billionaire. Did you fail before that or after that? I failed all along the way. We had from the first Love Sack store, which luckily was a success, we then had some that worked after that and some that were abject failures. You know, we were kids running around playing in an in a adult world at high stakes, signing up leases, long-term leases in these shopping malls, paying high rents and trying to figure out why the first one worked. And, and again, some of them worked, some of them didn't. But ultimately, to your point, I, I won a million dollars on TV on this crazy show called The Rebel Billionaire with Richard Branson. It was his answer to Trump's Apprentice. He wanted a show kind of like that, but not for apprentices, for entrepreneurs. And we competed against other entrepreneurs for the biggest prize in reality TV show history. And I was also made president of Virgin Worldwide for a minute. And when that happens, particularly to your point in the state of Utah, little place, fishbowl, Everybody knew me, and I had this stupid hair. You were hair a celebrity. And, you know, and, yeah, I saw the stupid hair. So you, you and your stupid hair were all over the place, weren't they? All over the place. And you can't believe everything you see on TV. You never know the backstory. At the time that Richard gave me a million-dollar check on national TV, Fox primetime, I had like $2 million in debt, having scrapped it together to build all these stores and grow, and we had a dozen, dozens of them and whatever. Right. So what's a million bucks? And I don't mean to sound, you know, prickish, but like it just went into the pot and it was gone and, and paid back a little bit of debt. And that's why you never know what someone is actually going through when you see anybody have any success. And, and, and then we parlayed that into raising our first round of true big venture capital. We raised about $13 million and their first idea was, hey, let's bankrupt this company you've created called Lovesack. Let's exit some of these bad leases through a reorganization. Let's buy back some of the franchisees and close the ones down who aren't up to snuff and we'll start over. And I was like, holy crap, that's super scary and not something I wanted to do, but kind of, um, you know, wedged into the corner there. And that's what took us to Stanford, Connecticut. We moved the company from Utah to Stanford, Connecticut. That's where all my children were born. And that's, you know, I raised my family for 11 years out there rebuilding this company that was in the limelight in one minute and then, you know, in the limelight again for uh, bad reasons, having gone through a full bankruptcy reorganization, extremely embarrassing, painful, but we survived it. And by the way, if you ever want a six-month MBA that was better than any MBA you could ever get, steer a company through a reorganization successfully. And you see what contracts are really made of and you see how the American system really works and you see all kinds of things while you're operating, by the way, and staying open and motivating people and hiring people and, and also laying off people and closing down store. I mean, it's, it's a messy, ugly process that taught me so much about business that you can only learn in that way. And so while I don't um, encourage it, my point is just there is always something to be gained from any situation, no matter how ugly or bad it is. These days, we hear a lot about the big versus small Wall Street versus Main Street. You did it. Do you think it's still possible? Do you think your story would still be possible today? Oh, I think entrepreneurship 
is on fire and, and, and the opportunity to do what I've done has never been more accessible, I think. You know, when, when we started selling love sacks on the lawn of the University of Utah, we were like weirdos. And people talk about bootstrapping today and, you know, building a business. That, that word didn't even exist. There was no word for what we were doing. You know, it's funding your company out of your credit cards and your savings. We were bootstrapping in those early days. By the way, there's a hundred other phrases that you could pick up from spending a week listening to Gary Vaynerchuk, for instance. And my point is, is whether it's Vaynerchuk or whatever podcaster you want to listen to or this one, I never had all these resources. I never was able to listen to people like me pontificate on, you know, how to do things or what they've been through. Like we were just on our own and we had maybe some books to read and I did tons of that. And I would encourage people to network and, but all these things are now so accessible and there's courses on this and there's online stuff and there's free stuff and it's all out there now. And I think it's more accessible than ever to young people. It's amazing. I didn't think I would be doing Lovesack as a career. I, I thought it might be a company at one point that I get out of and then I thought it might be a company I could build and then sell and do the next thing. And now I really want to be here for the next few decades because to make design for life products that are built to last a lifetime, designed to evolve and, and can truly become, you know, ultimately competitive in their category and change the way people think about the st stuff they buy. Like once you own sectionals, you start to think differently about the crap you own that dies, like this phone, right? That is going to be dead in two years because they want it to be. Like, I'm really proud of what we're doing. My oldest daughter, she's an entrepreneur at heart, but starts at a young age, you can spot these tendencies she wants to build things. She wants to invent things. She's, she starts things. And um, not every person is like that. And by the way, I've never been one to encourage everyone to go be an entrepreneur. I think you either kind of have those tendencies and that sort of resiliency and you need it or you don't. I think it's something to be pursued by people who have the right weird mix of strengths. You said there's a problem with consumerism consumerism, you know, just a hint, hint, wink, wink, it's destroying the planet. And your products are attempting to begin to solve that systemic problem that we have. Yeah, I'll quote William McDonough, who wrote The Upcycle. We don't have a pollution problem, we have a design problem. Like if, if things were designed better from the beginning, we wouldn't be chewing through all of our natural resources in the way that we are. Whether you're talking about vehicles, whether you're talking about clothing, whether you're talking about, you know, this phone I'm holding, you know, like what frustrates me is, is I had, for instance, for six years, I had an, uh, I carried an, or maybe longer, an iPhone SE, which was a six in a five body. And what's funny is, if, you know, now I'm carrying this 12, which looks exactly like the SE that I used to have, same body, same shape. And through the upgrades of software, I was able to maintain that SE and it could do all the same things except for maybe take as great pictures. But what sucked is right near the end there, the last two upgrades I made, I accepted from Apple, killed it, turned it into mush, slowed it down to the point it just didn't even work anymore in features. You know, that's intentional. And with it goes all of the aluminum and all of the precious metals and all the silica and all of the wonderful things that are in there and terrible things, bromine, chlorine, you know, packed into the uh, arsenic landfill, usually in Africa, because we don't want to bury that stuff on our soil. And it becomes garbage and it didn't need to be. The phone could have been made modular like our sectionals. 
to let that camera be upgradable. And look, they won't because they need to sell more phones because they need to be the biggest company in the world. What bugs me is that if you gave me a few hundred billion in cash, I think I could redeploy it, hire the right designers and, and go attack another category rather than just try and shove a new phone down your throat every couple of years. And that's what LoveSack flies in the face of. Like if we succeed with sectionals in the way I want to succeed, which is to capture more than 1% of the market. Right now we have like 1% of the couch market and I think we make the best couch. So more people need to know about them. We're working on that, right? We'll grow and grow. But if we really succeed in, and we gobble up many percents of the couch market, ultimately there will be fewer couches sold because our stuff lasts forever. And, and all the stuff that we invent going forward for sectionals are reverse compatible with the stuff. You know, I've got sectionals in my living room that are 10 years old mated with pieces that are brand new. And that's a beautiful thing, wearing new covers and they smell great and they look great and they've been through four kids, two dogs and two cats. And so my point is, it's incumbent upon me then, if I shrink the couch category by selling couches that last forever, to go attack another category if I want my business to grow. And that's, that's called design for life. And that's what I'm all about. And my goal is to spend the rest of my life on earth attacking categories and shrinking them by making products that are better. And then, and then what's cool is if we are radically successful at LoveSack, other entrepreneurs must copy us. Not because, you know, I'm preaching sustainability, but because like it works and it resonates with people that have a brain that are pissed off with buying stuff that's turning into garbage around them because they don't have another option. And then those people, the consumers, not only do the entrepreneurs move, begin to move the needle in other categories that I don't have time to attack, but consumers start thinking differently about the crap they own too. And they start buying stuff. And that's our ultimate purpose at LoveSack. It's written on the wall. We, we hope to inspire mankind to buy less stuff, but buy better. And that's what we're all about. I am so sick of hearing people pitting the economy against the environment. I'm glad someone finally came along and cleared that up, that there's a lot of economic opportunity in helping protect our environment by creating higher levels of sustainability. And no one ever gets that. It's like either you got to raise the forest to make money and that's the only option. So I'm really happy to hear that there's a social mission in mind. And I think that's really important to people our age. Absolutely. Buy less stuff and buy better. You know, that's what I believe. And we'll try and make the better stuff, at least in our little category. I mean, if you think about it, what our parents did to our planet is devastating. And by the time your kids are our age, it's very concerning the stuff they're going to be dealing with. We have five guiding principles that we live by and we talk about a lot in our company and, and we hire to it. And one of those guiding principles is an Iroquois idiom. We borrow this earth from our children. And I believe that. And, and by the way, it's why every time you've ever seen me, David, I'm wearing this dumb black t-shirt. By the way, th this black t-shirt's nine years old. And I wear them as a silent, quiet protest to the fashion industry that convinces us that our collars are too tall or that our jeans are too tight. And oh, now they're too loose. Oh, now they're too high. Oh, now they're too low-waisted. Whatever it is, black t-shirts last a long time. They kind of go with everything and like they don't stain very easily. And so this is the kind of behavior I'm talking about. I think it's possible. And, and you don't need to live a boring life to, to just make better decisions, I think. Well, on that note, all the best to your staff in Stanford. I love them. And to your family out in St. George's, Utah. Thank you, Sean, for making the time to talk to Follow the Prophet. Thanks, David. We're going to take a quick break here. Be right back. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival. Presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean. Keith Urban. Jelly Roll. Old Dominion. Lady A. Riley Green. Ashley McBride. Brothers Osborne. Walker Hayes. All hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th. Stream only on Hulu. Starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean, Keith Urban, Jelly Roll, Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. So I know this is already behind us, but it's important that we talk about it. Texas. It's a really big state. Texas is the size of France. It's also, Texas is a word in Norwegian that means crazy. Texas is crazy big. It spans two time zones and has a huge border with our neighbor to the south, Mexico. And it has a lot of big, important cities. And one of those is Austin. And Austin is a town that has been in the news again and again recently because it's booming and it's transforming into Silicon Valley. In fact, Tesla's there now. They're opening up a factory. Oracle is moving their headquarters there. If you've never heard of that company, trust me, it's involved in every single facet of your life. And reasons why people are moving to Austin? One is taxes. Texas doesn't have a state income tax. And two is weather. If you've ever been to Austin, Austin is pretty nice weather. It barely rains. And really, the lows don't go below freezing. Well, we saw recently that a major winter storm hit all of Texas all the way down to Houston, if you know the geography, and even down to the Mexican border. And 
Austin went down to four degrees. In fact, that day, Anchorage, Alaska was warmer. And really, it plunged everything into chaos. The power went off. And when the power went off, a lot of people were cold. My friend sent me a picture of her thermostat at 44 degrees. Her dogs almost died of hypothermia. And a lot of people did die. So you might be saying, hmm, Texas is one of the places that is growing the fastest in this country. And hey, it's Texas. I lived in Texas. Texas is wonderful. Texans are independent. They're strong. They have a great culture. Texas made me a better person. I love Texas and Texas. Notwithstanding, Texas has a little problem that they're unwilling to confront, we'll call it. Texas isn't really ready for prime time for all this growth. And I'll tell you why. Texas is run like a frontier state. And I'm going to tell you why. There's a lot of things that don't make sense in the modern world. Hey, and we love small government and we love low taxes. God bless Texas for all of that. But Texas is growing faster than nearly anywhere else in this country. And they need to change the way they do things. Number one, their legislature only meets every other year. In Austin, in fact, because Austin's the state capital. That's probably not going to cut it in a state that is now the second most populous and growing by the minute. Two, Texas has its own electricity grid. And by the way, it's terrible. In fact, it's named ERCOT. And the R in that acronym stands for reliability. And Elon Musk, the newest resident of Austin, came out and said they don't deserve the R for reliability on the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. They're not reliable. And in fact, they were minutes away from having their grid completely collapse and be unfixable. And, you know, we can blame things. The politicians came out and blamed the windmills, which is false. It wasn't the windmills. It was just literally a situation where it was too cold. And people say, well, this is a once in a 30 year event. No, it isn't. It's cold all the time in Texas. Texas has a problem. Texas's government focuses on issues that don't matter. And whether it's a Democrat or Republican in charge is irrelevant. They need to stop arguing about issues and build infrastructure. If you go to Austin, they never really planned for all this growth. Austin's a mess. There's not enough infrastructure. Where I lived in Texas, no matter what we would ask for, they never plowed the roads. Folks, Texas is so big that in the north it snows. Texas is unwilling to change the way they function. Public corruption is a problem in Texas. They are too busy squabbling about issues that do not matter. The government of Texas needs to adjust to the new realities in that state. It is no longer the frontier. If they want to keep their system of small government and low taxes, they need to focus on efficient and effective government. Stop arguing about cultural issues and build roads. Build a reliable electricity grid. And when it fails, don't blame the windmills. That has nothing to do with it. In fact, windmills in Texas are one of the most successful energy stories of modern times. Texas is blessed. It has a vibrant economy built on top of another economy, which of course is energy. And there's as much petroleum and byproducts in Texas as there is in Saudi Arabia. So let me tell you folks, Texas is blessed with geography, with culture, with money. It needs a government that recognizes that the old way of doing business is not going to cut it. 
Texas is not ready for prime time. They are not ready for the growth that is coming. And it will continue growing because guess what? Texas is a great place to live. But folks, if you continue to run a government that cannot service the basic needs of their citizens, they're going to lose out on the growth. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you about another place that's growing just as fast, and that's Florida. And we're accommodating the growth just fine. You know, we have issues on our coast. They're wide out there for public consumption about rising tides and, you know, sinking Miami Beach. We know about all of that. But guess what? Our grid is reliable. We build highways before the growth comes. We rely on charter schools when school districts are overcrowded. We're doing a great job. And really, if Texas wants some lessons learned, they probably should come over here to Florida and study what we do. So thanks to all of you for joining me as we follow the profit. You know, I really want to thank Sean Nelson. He's a friend of ours and a furniture entrepreneur and someone who really cares about the planet. And we appreciate that. He told us all about the ups and downs of creating a retail store and becoming a celebrity, thanks to Richard Branson, then filing for bankruptcy, and then resurrecting like the phoenix, reinventing his product line and becoming successful once more. I want to take the time, of course, to thank my fabulous team of producers, Emiliano Limon, Scott Hantler, Cheyenne Reed, and specifically my executive producers. You might recognize former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, and of course, his right-hand lady, Debbie Myers. I'm your host, David Grasso. Give us five stars if you enjoyed the show. We work really hard to make this something you want to listen to. So if you're happy, or even if you're sad, give us a review so that others can learn what the show is all about. Follow the Prophet is a production of Gingrich 360 and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All opinions expressed by David Grasso and his guests on the show are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Gingrich 360 or affiliates and may have been previously disseminated by David Grasso on this podcast, television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by David Grasso as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. David Grasso's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither Gingrich Productions nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. David Grasso, Gingrich Productions, its affiliates and or subsidiaries are not under any obligation to update or correct any information provided on this website. David Grasso's statements and opinions are subject to change without notice. No part of David Grasso's compensation from Gingrich Productions is related to the specific opinions he expresses. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Neither David Grasso nor Gingrich 360 guarantees any specific outcome or profit. You should be aware of the real risk of loss in following any strategy or investment discussed on this website or on the show. Strategies or investments discussed may fluctuate in price or value. Investors may get back less than invested. Investments or strategies mentioned on this website or on the show may not be suitable for you. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. You must take an independent decision regarding investments or strategies mentioned on this website or on the show.
Before acting on information on this website or on the show, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and strongly consider seeking advice from your own financial or investment advisor. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean, Keith Urban, Jelly Roll, Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific.